Good morning. I'm going to start with a question today. Can you think of a time where the sequel was better than the original? Um, anybody remember Rocky Five? <laughs> no. Probably one of the worst sequels I have ever seen is Christmas Vacation 2. If you have not seen it, you have an extra hour of your life that I do not. <laughs> Seriously, I think the only way they sold it was it came packaged with the first one. But in watching it, uh, there are very few movies that I have turned off. I'm like, oh, I think maybe you could redeem yourself. I think maybe there's a chance. That one, not a chance. It was over. And I said, guess what? I will stick with Christmas Vacation 1. The reason sequels oftentimes aren't better than the second is we think like it's a different story. It, it's, it's, a continue, it's not a continuation. It came about after the fact. See, we value the original or the OG, right? Like how many times do we, something happens and we get, there's all these iterations and we go, hey, but this is going to point back to the original. This is going to point back to the first because the first is always better than what comes after it. We're walking through our beliefs here at Sanctuary, our core beliefs that are not just for here at Sanctuary, we believe are core to the Christian faith. Ten beliefs that we say, hey, this, these aren't up for negotiation. It's not a matter of I believe three, but I don't believe five, and I believe one, but not as much as two. These are ten tenets of our faith, doctrines of our faith that we stand on and we believe are true. One of the greatest sequels of all time probably is Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, right? I mean, how great was the second one of that? But the reality is the central theme of that movie, the central theme of that, I mean, now you, I mean, how many Star Wars are there? I mean, and when I watch them, I'm going, this isn't original. Like you're, comp you're making up more because you know the money's here. When you look at Star Wars, central to Star Wars is the force. The force, right? This, this thing that, that there's a good side, a dark side, and a good side. And, and when we think about today as we jump into the Holy Spirit, I think a lot of us land in this place with the Holy Spirit of going, it's a, um, it's a force. Yeah, yeah, it's the force of God. It's, it's the power of God. Instead of recognizing today, my hope is we recognize as we walk out of here, the Holy Spirit is not just a force. Holy Spirit is representative of God's power, but it is, it is a person. It is a part of the Trinity. It is part of who God is. A person who desires to be known, a person with power and mystery, but a person who desires to be known and a person who has been revealed to us. You see, maybe when we talk about God in week one and we talk about Jesus, you're going, I'm good with that. And then we get to the Holy Spirit. And maybe even this morning, as you hear that, you go, oh boy. Where is this going to go? Because some like love the Holy Spirit and are all about the Holy Spirit. And others are like, I don't know exactly what that means. I'm just going to stick with Jesus. My hope this morning is that you recognize you don't have to just stick with Jesus. You get the whole thing. You get the Father. You get the Son. And this morning, I want to dive into what it means to believe and understand who the Holy Spirit is. If it's a little murky for you, you're not alone. George Barna, in some research in uh, the church, wrote this. He says, nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend Christian church say there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. Now, did you catch that? 
60% of Americans, no, 60% of Americans who regularly attend church. These are people that go to church that, have, that are, you would say, are Bible-believing, Jesus-following people. 60% of those, like we could do the math, right? Cut the room in, like this many people say the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity. That is absolutely incorrect, absolutely untrue based on what we have in Scripture. Francis Chan wrote a book on the Holy Spirit a couple years ago, and it was entitled The Forgotten God, saying, hey, we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit. And for many of us, we've kind of pushed the Holy Spirit to the side and goes, I can't really understand that, therefore I'm going to focus on these other I'm just a little more comfortable here. I'm a little more known here. I feel safer here. In a church like ours, we have people with a variety of church backgrounds. So today we're not talking about Pentecostals and Charismatics, but we're talking about a core Christian doctrine that if it's true and you're living as if it isn't true, you are seeking to live the Christian life with two-thirds of what God has given you. I don't know about you, but I don't see many churches around here actively advertising, hey, we worship two-thirds of God. Or we're two-thirds. We want to be completely devoted to following the God as revealed in Scripture. And to do that, we need to follow the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So sanctuary statement on the Holy Spirit is this. It says, we believe the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells within each believer. He intercedes, comforts, counsels, illuminates, equips, and empowers believers to be continually transformed to the image and character of Christ. We believe the Spirit of God dwells within each believer. If you have a relationship with Jesus, regardless of how much emphasis or how much belief you have in the Holy Spirit, the reality is, the truth is, the Spirit is in you. The Spirit is in me. And that spirit is not passive, that spirit is active. Therefore, we talk about here the fact that the spirit intercedes, comforts, counsels, illuminates, equips, empowers believers to be continually transformed to the image and character of Christ. Let me just ask you this. If that is true, if, if that is true, why would you not want to live as if that is true? So this morning, I'm gonna invite you just to join me as we look at four things Four things that the Holy Spirit does. This list could go on and on and on. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks talking about the Holy Spirit. I just want to encourage you to press into these things with the hope that you will walk out of here today and this week would look a little different as you're aware of the power that has been made available to you and the Spirit that lives inside of you. See, we've talked about the Father, the Son, and the Holy, or Father, uh, God the Father and Jesus the Son. As we round out the Trinity, we talk about the Holy Spirit. And I thought this was helpful. There's two categories when it comes to the Trinity. I don't know about you, but they make my head hurt. When you start to figure out, wait, three and one. Our God is one, but our God is three. Those three are separate and distinct, but those three are one. No one part of the three is any less God. How does that work? There's two categories when it comes to um, the Trinity, when it comes to theology and doctrine. One is this Imminent Trinity, which is the, another word would be ontological Trinity, which is this ontology, excuse me, is the study of being. It's saying, who is God? Let's define first. Who are these three components that make up the Trinity? First, you have the Father eternally unbegotten. 
The Son eternally begotten by the Father. The Spirit eternally proceeds from the Father and the Son. What is it saying? It's saying, hey, above all, there's the Father, right? Unbegotten, like eternally existing, eternally. Now the Son is begotten. That doesn't mean that there was one day the Father was saying, well, what should we do today? Oh, I'm gonna know. I know what we'll do. Let's, let's create the Son, eternally begotten. It's a matter of, prior, it's a matter of order. It's a matter of, of how the Father then goes to the Son and then the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. That's who the Trinity is. That's what the components are. But now what's really helpful to me is then to understand what the Trinity does especially in relation to the work of salvation and redemption. So therefore, we have the economic trinity, which points to how the trinity is revealed in redemptive history. The God the Father initiates the plan for salvation. God the Son accomplishes salvation, and the Spirit applies salvation. I don't know about you, but that is so helpful for me. Of going, I see how three work together as one. The Father initiates, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies. So what is this Spirit? What does this Spirit do? Because we believe the Spirit has been revealed, and the Spirit is available, and the Spirit is dwelling in us. How do we grow in our understanding of who He is and what He has come to do? You see, I started talking about sequels. Part of the reason that sequels regularly fall flat is they feel forced, right? Like some, the first episode or the first movie or the first book was successful. So what do we do? Let's make another one and slap the name on it and then ride the, the momentum of the first one and make more money on the second one. And what we do is when we start watching the movie, Christmas Vacation 2, we're like, this has absolutely nothing to do with what I loved about the first one. You see, the Holy Spirit is not a sequel. The Holy Spirit didn't come after Jesus, when Jesus said, hey, I've got to go, but what should we do next? Let's send the Spirit. Let's, this is the, the in-between, like between when I leave and when I come back. Let's just send the Spirit. The Spirit has been, is, and will be. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't the sequel. He's the third person in the Trinity. And to miss him is to have an incomplete view of God. So the four things we want to look at this morning. First, look at the fact that the Spirit is the giver of life. We see, you don't have to go to the New Testament. We don't have to wait till Pentecost to see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is found in the second verse of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, we pick up the story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Before the world was created, God was there. The Spirit was there. The Spirit was there when it was formless. The Spirit was an agent of creation. The Spirit was part of bringing form and beauty and bringing life in Genesis 2, 7, we find the Spirit again at work. And it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruha, which is wind or breath. We see God breathing. We see the Spirit is what gives life to man. You see, Go on in Job 33, we find the Spirit not only gives life, the Spirit sustains life. Where Job says, the Spirit of God has made me, the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Holy Spirit takes the formless and lifeless and brings forth life, purpose, and beauty. Can you think of a time when you have been in, out in creation and you've just been in awe at the beauty and the wonder of what is around you? 
several years ago, I was with our students in Machu Picchu, Peru. And I remember standing there in just an absolute wonder. How could something this big, how could something this incredible, how could I be standing on a place where I feel this incredibly small? And then I'm thinking, how in the world could God create this beauty and really no one even knew about it for thousands of years? How many other things has our God created? How many other places of beauty has he given us that we don't even know about? The Spirit gives life. Gave life physically and it gives life spiritually. And Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of both water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, yeah, yeah. The Spirit breathed life into Adam. The Spirit sustains life all around you. But the Spirit now is giving spiritual life. Remember, we talked about the Trinity, how the Spirit applies the work of, the, of salvation that Jesus accomplished. He is breathing spiritual life into you and I. And it doesn't just stop there. In Romans 8, 11, we see that he's going to revive the lifeless in the end. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So in summary, with the life giver, the giver of life, the spirit is, what do, we, what do we see? We see that the spirit of God has worked in the past by giving physical life, is presently working in our world by giving spiritual life to those who believe in Jesus Christ, and he will someday raise to life those who have believed in Jesus. The Holy Spirit, whether 60% of believers believe in him or not, has been at work, is at work, and will be at work. He is part of who God is. He's not an optional sequel to the story of Jesus. But the Spirit of, is not just a giver of life, but he's also the illuminator of truth. At the Last Supper, Jesus is preparing his disciples. Think about this. Jesus is preparing his disciples to experience something you and I experience every day. He's teaching his disciples, preparing his disciples for what life would be like without him. Your entire relationship with Jesus, my entire relationship with Jesus has been in that understanding, right? We've never had Jesus with us physically, but the disciples started with Jesus physically and then they've got to learn to understand what life is going to be like when he relieves them physically and Jesus is giving them comfort and encouragement on how that is actually going to be better. Says, because, but because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, picture the disciples. Upper room, Jesus is talking. He's talked about this whole dying thing. We're not sure exactly what that means. Hopefully that's figurative. But he's talking about leaving. We're not sure what that means either. We don't really know where he's going. But he's kind of a little, little distraught about this. And he goes, hey, guess what? I'm leaving and it's going to be better that I leave. You're going, um, uh, no, not true. You, I remember life without you and now I've had life with you. Life without you cannot be better than life with you. And Jesus goes, no, no, yes, it's true. It is to your advantage. It is better if I leave. 
How in the world can that be possible? Jesus is telling us the Holy Spirit inside of you and me is better than if Jesus was beside you and me. He said it, not me. Is it true? How is it true? Tony Evans does a great job explaining why this is true. I love this. He says, Jesus limited, when he was on earth, Jesus limited the exercise of his deity to the location of his humanity. Think about that. Jesus limited the exercise of his deity. We talked about Jesus last week. Jesus was no less God when he came. He was fully God. But he limited the exercise of his deity, his godness, to the location of his humanity. Which meant while he's walking on earth, Jesus is in this spot. He's not in that spot. He's saying, I'm limiting who I am by pouring myself into the human form. So when he says, it is to your advantage that I leave, he's saying, guess what? You have me in bodily form. My deity is confined to this body right now. It's limited to this body. But when I leave, all of a sudden, the deity that you've had in front of you, limited to this one human body, will now be inside every one of you. Jesus never traveled more than 300 miles from where he was born. So in this little spot on earth, he said, it's better that I leave because what's gonna, what has stayed within 300 miles is going to move around the globe. And the only way I can do that is if I do it by living in you and working through you. Therefore, it is better that I leave than I stay. And it is better that he leaves and it is better that he be in us, not just with us, because it is from in us that he is the illuminator of God's truth. Keep reading in John 16. He, he, Jesus goes on, still talking about the Holy Spirit. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. How did Jesus describe the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of truth. He says, I'm sending you the Spirit of truth. And what will he do? He will guide you into all truth. If you go back two chapters in John 14, again, Jesus is talking about the helper, the Holy Spirit that is coming. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let me ask you a question. If you were on a trip, would you rather have a paper map or a GPS? GPS. Why? Because when you make a wrong turn or something changes, you want to know what to do from this point on. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, I've been with you and I've directed you and you've been able to follow me because you can see me. But rather than simply pointing you to the end destination, and when I can't be with everyone at the same time, I'm going to be with everyone by the same time by putting my spirit inside of you. And when my spirit is inside of you, rather than giving you a paper map to guide you, my spirit is going to guide you in all truth. And guess what? This is my favorite part. He says, what is he going to do? He says, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How many times 
Have you been in a situation, in a conversation, maybe in a place where you've been worried, anxious, scared, and then somewhere, out of nowhere, something comes to mind. Maybe it's a verse. Maybe it's a truth about our God. Where does that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit doing exactly what Jesus said it would do. I'm going to bring to remembrance all that I have taught you. Which is why Jesus says, it's better that I leave so that the Spirit can come. Because he is going to illuminate truth. Now, the greatest source of God's truth is found where? Right here. Talked about it in week one. The beauty of, of Scripture, the gift of Scripture, the fact that this is God's truth, God's spoken word given to us so we can know him. He's revealed to us the plan of salvation. He's revealed to us who he is, who we are, the invitation he has for us to join him in his work. Now, how many times have you read this and been like, I don't know what it's talking about? I don't know what that, I mean, really, does that have any bearing? Like, God, would you speak? It just, it just looks like, feels like words on a page. You see, God's given us his truth, and he's given us the illuminator of truth because he doesn't want us to read this book separate from his spirit. Matt Chandler talks about the fact that sometimes we reduce the Trinity to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. This isn't the third part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is, and the Holy Spirit's job, one of his roles is to illuminate the truth that God has given us so that we can understand it, believe it, and apply it to our lives. Illumination is key to be able to understand what it means and what we're supposed to do with it. Years ago, pretty breakthrough um, technology came about. Anybody know what this is? This is a Kindle. Remember when they came out? It was like, guess what? You can burn all the books. No one's ever going to read paper again. Like you have one device. It has like hundreds of books, if not thousands of books at your disposal. All you need to do is carry this. And it's like carrying your whole library with you. But there's a drawback. Do you know when and where you could read a Kindle? Anywhere there was light outside of you. The breakthrough came when they came out with a version of the Kindle with a backlight. Because then all of a sudden, you can have your whole library with you in one device and you can read it anywhere at any time. Why? Because the backlight illuminates all that is in here. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is the backlight of Scripture. The Holy Spirit is the illuminator of truth that is showing us what is actually there, showing us how it applies, and then empowering us to live it out. It is to your advantage that I leave. Because the illuminator of truth, the spirit of truth, is coming. The Holy Spirit illuminates truth by revealing the truth we need to know. By teaching us to grow in the truth we don't understand. And this one we don't really like a whole lot. By convicting us when we live outside of his truth. The Holy Spirit is relentless in revealing truth, specifically truth about Jesus. Now, if you're in church, you've been around church for a long time, if someone asks a question you don't know, right, what's the go-to answer? Jesus, right? I mean, that's a good shot. I mean, probably going to have something to do with what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit's answer, primary answer is Jesus. 
The Holy Spirit is Jesus' greatest fan. Because you know what the Holy Spirit does in revealing and illuminating truth? It's constantly pointing back to how Jesus is the answer to everything. What Jesus accomplished, what Jesus did, what Jesus promised, what Jesus revealed to us about God. The Holy Spirit is a huge fan of Jesus and constantly pointing to Jesus, 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 Jesus. The Holy Spirit will not settle for us settling for anything less than God's best for you and me which is always found in Jesus. Now, it's great to know that the Spirit gives life and great to know that it's illuminating truth, but it's essential to remember that the Holy Spirit is also a source of power. The Holy Spirit doesn't just illuminate truth. He empowers believers. Check this out. Love how the book of Acts begins. Maybe you've missed this, but I love it. Um, at the beginning of Acts, Acts is written by Luke. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. And as he gets to Acts, he starts and he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, Acts is after Jesus leaves, right? So why would Luke say, In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do? Began or did. He's saying, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do because all that Jesus began to do, he's continuing to do. The story that's about to unfold in this book that I'm writing to you is not the story that happened after Jesus. It's not the sequel of the story of Jesus. It is the story of Jesus. When Jesus began to do what he began to do when he was physically here, he's continuing to do through the power of his spirit. Now check this out. As he talks about what Jesus has begun to do, look at what Jesus tells his followers to not do as he leaves. Until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Now, Jesus has just conquered death. He's risen from the dead. He said, we got a mission. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. Are you in? And the disciples are like, yes. And Jesus says, do nothing. Wait. Now, why? With all that has happened, with all that has been accomplished, and all that is yet to be done, why would Jesus tell his disciples to wait? Because they don't have the Spirit. What does he do? He says, but wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus doesn't want his followers doing anything until the Spirit comes. Why then does his church today, 60% of his church today, believe that the Spirit that he's promised, that he's given, that he didn't want his followers to do life without. Why does 60% of the church say it doesn't even exist? We're missing out on the very power that God has given us to act out, to follow the truth that his spirit illuminates. I love this example. You see, when we look through the New Testament, we look through the Gospels and we go, hey, let's live the Jesus way. The question is, well, can I? And the answer is no, but yes. 
John Stott writes, it is of no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare can do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live like that. Jesus could do it, but I can't. But, the genius of Shakespeare, but if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. If you've ever looked at the life of Jesus, seen the call that he has for believers and the way he's instructed us to live, and he goes, I can't do it. You're right. Jesus said you can't do it without his spirit in you, empowering you, illuminating, first giving life, then illuminating the truth and ultimately empowering you to live life his way. In Acts 1.8, it goes on and says, but you will receive power when the spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Holy Spirit empowers us to obey God's commands, to resist temptations, and ultimately to trust the truth about who we are. What does the Spirit say? What is the Spirit speaking? Paul writes in Romans 8.16, the Spirit himself bears witness, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the greatest truths that the Spirit wants you and I to know on a daily basis is who we are and whose we are. And if we choose to live separate from the power of the Spirit, we're choosing to live separate from the greatest megaphone of truth available to us. That is God saying to you and me, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. You are my child. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what struggles, challenges, obstacles are in your life this morning. But I know that that truth, you are mine, will dramatically change whatever you are facing. It won't fix it. It won't remove it. It won't absolve it. But to face that, knowing who God says that you are, will change that to a certain extent. And at least how you engage whatever that is. The power that was to come was for the purpose of being witnesses to Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus in everything, as we have said. And the purpose of the life-giving, truth-illuminating power of the Holy Spirit is to witness to the truth of Jesus. The truth about Jesus is how far God would go to rescue his own how far God would go so that his spirit can speak the truth. You are mine. One of the greatest comforts that the Holy Spirit gives us is not just his voice of truth, illumination of truth, but his constant presence. The fourth thing that the spirit does is the spirit is God's promised presence in our lives. Often it seems, we seem to think that under, with an understanding that the Holy Spirit is reserved for the most spiritual people. Like if we were to grade people on who the least spiritual to the most spiritual, the most spiritual get more of the Spirit. But what we find is that the Spirit just comes. 
The Spirit dwells inside of us, not part of it, but all of it. Therefore, every single person who professes faith in Jesus Christ and trusts him gets the Spirit. Not part of it, but all of it. And then when the Spirit dwells in us, that Spirit, while speaking to our identity, is also a, pre, a, a reminder and a promise of what is to come. John 14, 8, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come. Now, some read that and think that he's talking about the fact he'll come back one day. Others think he's talking about the Spirit will come and he will be with us as, with the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in the life of believers. But the reality is, the answer is yes to both. He has come, he is with us, and he will come again. The Spirit is a promise guaranteeing how the story ends. In Ephesians 1, 13, he said, Paul writes, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Remember, Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I leave because I haven't really left. I'm in you, I'm with you, and I'm a promise guaranteeing of how the story will one day end. Anybody know the name Arthur Radley? What about if I'd mentioned to you the story To Kill a Mockingbird? There's a character in that book, Arthur Radley, who actually goes by a different name. He goes by Boo Radley. And if you remember the book from grade school, you remember the main character is Scout, and her neighbor is this character named Boo Radley. Now, as a side note, my acting career <laughs> my acting career started and ended with me playing Boo Radley. <laughs> I had one line, and that was all it took for them to go and move along. But Boo Radley is this character that you don't really know what to make of. And Scout, the main character, doesn't know what to make of him. And as actually moves through the story from being unaware of his presence to then being terrified of his presence to ultimately being aware of that he was a protective presence for her all along. So as we talk this morning about the Holy Spirit, maybe some of it's flying over your head and you're going, I don't know what this means for me. But I hope you would say at least be a, would it be a greater awareness to the fact that God says, this is who I am. And maybe for you, you're like, I don't really want to know more about the Holy Spirit. Well, where do you find yourself? Are you unaware of his presence? Are you terrified of his existence? Or hopefully as a result of our time today, you're embracing, desiring to embrace his powerful, protective, and illuminating presence in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't an optional sequel. See, we said a sequel is like disconnected oftentimes, not needed. But what about a trilogy? Like, what if you take one of the stories out of the trilogy? What if you take one of the Lord of the Rings books out of the trilogy? All of a sudden, you have an incomplete and disappointing story. 
Guys, let's not take one part of the Holy Spirit or one part of the Trinity away because we just don't understand or we don't, doesn't seem right or doesn't seem that important. Let's rest in the beauty of the full story, the full revealed nature of our God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is so powerful that Jesus said it's better that you have him today than you have me physically beside you. And then with the awareness of what he, who he is and what he's doing, the fact that he's giving life, the fact that he's illuminating truth, the fact that he's our promised presence, the fact that he's empowering us to live the Jesus way, would that cause us to press in? And would it cause us to say, Jesus, would you allow me to be a part of your story? The book I referenced earlier, Francis Chan's book on the on, uh, Holy Spirit called The Forgotten God, I love this. He writes this, he says, I spent years asking God to be a part of whatever I was doing. When I read the book of Acts, I see people privileged to play a part in what God was doing. I wonder if part of the reason that we don't believe in the Holy Spirit as much as we should is because we're more interested in the Holy Spirit doing what we want to do than rather us joining God what he's doing through the power of the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like this week to reorient yourself, to say, God, would you allow me to join you in what you are already doing? I want to challenge us with simply three things, three responses to press into the reality, the truth that is the Holy Spirit. One, would you receive? Would you choose to simply receive what the Spirit has for you this week? heard somebody say that the Holy Spirit is received. It's not seized. You don't go chase it down. It's in you. In order to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, it's not some crazy experience. Sometimes it is, but a lot of times it's you and I choosing to make space for the Spirit to speak. I remember being in Chattanooga, the aquarium. My daughter loved butterflies. And there's a butterfly exhibit at the top. And the butterflies are all over the place. And what my daughter wanted desperately was for a butterfly to land on her. And so she ran after all the butterflies. And they all flew away. And it wasn't until she chose to stop and be still that a butterfly landed on her. Guys, what would it look like this week to receive from the Spirit, if that started, not by you chasing, but by you simply sitting, resting, and choosing to receive. And then second, would you consider re-surrendering? Re would you allow the Spirit to take hold of you? Would you be open to saying, God, what you want, not what I want? Would you search me? Would you find me? Would you reveal things that are not of you? And would you fill me and lead me in how you want me to live? And lastly, would, would I, can I challenge you just to respond? It does no good if we receive and we resurrender, and then God gives us direction through his spirit and we go, eh, no thanks. For you and I to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it may begin with the simplest yes. The simplest yes to how he prompts and leads us. And us simply going, yes. Yes, yes. And I wonder how much more of the Spirit's work in my life I would experience if I was more marked by simply saying yes rather than negotiating 
and arguing and rationalizing why or why not to do what he's called me to do. So my challenge for us as we end this morning, may we not settle for anything less than the fullness of God represented in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May you be reminded of the life he's given. May you be illuminated. May you understand and grasp the truth that he illuminates. May you be empowered by his power. And may you be blessed by his presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that the Holy Spirit isn't optional. If we want to understand you, we need to live in light of the truth of the spirit that you have given us. God, we're thankful that you have not left us as orphans. You have given your spirit to each and every one of us. And God, while there's a whole lot of mystery and there's a whole lot of unknown, God, we want to surrender and say yes to however you lead us, to however you guide us. God, we just want more of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.